Well, welcome to Round the Table Live with Christian Concern. And today we are talking about what is the church saying about conversion therapy, which is obviously a very hot topic at the moment um, for us. And I'm delighted to be joined by three uh, very special guests. We have got Mike Davidson, um, who heads up the Core Issues Trust and also the IFTCC, Inter International Federation for Therapeutic Counseling Choice, if I got that right, Mike. Hello, Tim. Hello. Yes, you did well. Thank great, you. Great to see you. Uh, we've got Dave Gel Dave Gobbett, who is lead pastor of Highlands Church and one of the co-authors of a fantastic open letter that went to the government this week um, from two and a half thousand pastors, uh, Dave being one of them, um, about conversion therapy. And we also have Julie Maxwell, who is a pediatrician and a member of General Synod. We'll talk about General Synod as well today. Um, and also one of the co-authors of the open letter on conversion therapy signed by um, two and a half thousand pastors. Well, it's great to have um, all of you in the room today to talk to us. And I wonder if, Mike, I can start with you um, to just briefly recap where we've got to. The government has made some proposals and a consultation has just ended. Just what were the proposals? What is the government proposing, Mike? Well, the government is proposing to ban what we call therapeutic choice, but which they call conversion therapy, a term that really they haven't defined very well. But the point is the consultation has now taken place. I think many people have responded and presumably now the government will pay attention to the submissions and then will go towards formulating legislation to bring about the ban. We keep being told that it's not a case of if, it's when. They are determined to do this. And so the consultation was about how and not whether or not it should be done. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, that's that's helpful. Um, and the plan is that um, under 18s will not be able to consult uh, to any form of therapy. And, and the, the government agrees that any physical acts are already illegal. So it's down to conversations that they're gonna be criminalizing here. Um, and you have to have formal consent to engage in a conversation. And then there's the whole question about prayer as well, which I'm sure we'll get into in a minute. Um, but um, Dave and Julie, um, you both handed in this letter to the government. Perhaps we can just play a short um, video about you doing that this week. Was it uh, yesterday? I think you did it, wasn't it? Um, let's just play that video. And then, Dave, I'll come to you to talk about why you wrote this letter. Well, we're here in Downing Street representing over two and a half thousand Christian ministers from all denominations who've written to uh, Liz Truss uh, expressing our grave concerns about the proposal to ban what is apparently called conversion therapy. Uh, and our concern is not that we're trying to defend any disreputable practices, but simply the way that this has been defined would make normal Christian ministry illegal. We have no desire at all to support some of the incredibly bizarre, disreputable practices that have taken place. We utterly abhorrent to us as Christian ministers, but the loving, careful, prayerful, pastoral support of those in our church families, as well as those who are seeking Christ, uh, has to be preserved. And we're very, very concerned that the current uh, legislation will forbid us from doing that. I've known people who are, say, same-sex, uh, attraction, but believe that the Bible teaches that that's not what God wants. So they need help and support to be able to deal with those, which must be really difficult feelings. 
And if this went through, then I would have to say, well, I'm sorry, you know, I'm either not going to be able to offer it to you, um, or, you know, I'd be prepared to go to court. And, because, and, and that's what, in signing and being one of the authors of this letter, that's what uh, I've made as a commitment of mine, that in order to be able to offer people the help and the hope, then, you know, I would be prepared to face charges if that was it. Great. So, Dave, um, tell us about how this letter came about and and um, and why you put it together or helped put it together. Sure thing. Well, thanks for having me on, uh, Tim. It's good to be with you. Uh, the authors of the letter, um, before we wrote the letter, we, we didn't really know each other, um, but individually we were all concerned about the, the proposals that the government were making. Um, it's worth uh, doubly underlining, we are absolutely abhorrent against any of the kind of uh, bizarre, uh, disreputable, evil practices that um, have taken place historically and which are currently already illegal. Uh, our yeah. concern was the fact that um, that uh, this uh, category of conversion therapy is so broad as to be uh, rendered meaningless. It incorporates uh, anything from a conversation, um, a sermon, um, some prayer ministry, just a one-on-one, -on -one, even a parent speaking to their uh, child, thinking through issues of sexuality and marriage. And it also incorporates um, uh, abusive rape in one paragraph. And um, the idea that it does that, it just, it, 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 it's so meaningless, the, the way the, um, the, the, the consultation, the, the proposal has been written. We, we think absolutely this needs to be made crystal clear as Christian ministers, um, yes, we're opposed to evil practice and we have nothing to do with them. But at its very heart, the Christian gospel is a call to be converted to Jesus Christ. And we think there's no coincidence that um, the language of conversion therapy, which needs to be banned, so-called, is um, deliberately targeting those who are seeking to, to call anyone and everyone to deny themselves to take up their cross and follow Jesus Christ. This isn't, this isn't really to do with um, sexuality, that's to do with the way uh, the Christian gospel is. And so as Christian ministers, we're passionate about proclaiming that gospel and uh, urging people to live for, for Jesus. Um, so uh, we, we felt it was right to write the letter. Um, we also felt it was right in the letter to say, look, um, it's very much our prayer uh, that the government would um, change or uh, preferably even drop the proposal because we, we, we think um, um, it's uh, it, it, it's not fit for purpose as a as a bill. That's our prayer. That's what we're working towards. That's why we have kind of lobbied the government as much as we can. We're thrilled that other agencies like yourselves and uh, the Evangelical Alliance uh, have have spoken uh, consistently to the government about this. But we also wanted to double down on the fact that as clearly we can make it that even if the government doesn't change its policy, uh, we are ultimately ministers of the gospel and we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, not um, um, the local state. And uh, yeah. and we're not at liberty to change what we practice in terms of what the, the, the government says. And we'll be prepared to decriminalise if need be. And we'd hate to do that. We want to be law-abiding citizens. And more than almost anyone else, Christians should be law-abiding citizens. Um, but we're prepared to, to, to be criminalised uh, for the sake of, uh, of this important matter. So we made that clear too in the letter. And um, perhaps, Julie, um, you know, as another co-author of the letter, what exactly do you think would be criminalised? Where you know these all the ministers are saying, well, if it comes to it, we would disobey, disobey this law. What what exactly do you think counts? It would include criminalised. 
I mean, I, I, th I think potentially there are all sorts of things which could be criminalised if, if you, you know, as Dave said, the, 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 the scope of, of the, their sort of definition of conversion therapies is just so huge. Um, and when, as Dave said, Christianity is about calling people to, uh, to Jesus Christ and to live for Jesus Christ, then, um, then you know, that is conversion. That, that's what Jesus Christ does in, in our lives. But um, I mean, I personally was sort of particularly concerned about the aspect of children and young people as a paediatrician, yeah. youth worker and, and a parent. Um, you know, children and young people need direction from adults around them about all sorts of issues. Um, and teenagers, particularly at the moment, with the sort of sexualized culture that we are living in um, and navigating the huge changes of puberty and adolescence, those, those sort of issues around sexuality and gender are kind of right at the top of, of what they want to talk about, what they want to hear about, um, and, and that need to be discussed. And as Christians, we seek to support young people as they try and follow Jesus Christ and trying to understand these complex issues around sexuality and gender uh, within the biblical perspective of being created man and woman and with the, the biblical definition of marriage being between one man and one woman. Um, and, and the huge concern is that just by teaching that and helping young people to understand their life in, in that biblical context it is going to be against the law. Um, and, and we would effectively be criminalised for doing what we do as parents and as youth leaders. That's the concern. Yeah, particularly because uh, the government proposal is that under 18s cannot consent to therapy and therapy is, is so broadly yeah. defined, it could include all sorts of yeah. conversations um, and prayers and, and so on and so on. Um, yeah, Mike, you... We, we, you know, we have worked so hard to open up conversations about sexuality. Yes. Um, and, you know, and I, I work for Lovewise and, you know, uh, that's one of the things I'm really yeah. passionate about, teaching children about the good design for marriage and sexuality. Um, and, and to have that potentially closed down again and for yeah. young people to be afraid, even if we're willing to still do it, they yeah. might be afraid to come and talk to us. And, and you know, we'll be back in a situation where young people struggling as teenagers yeah. for sexuality uh, will, will be afraid to even voice that they've got those struggles. And that's, yeah. that, you know, that's tragic and, and will massively increase the mental health problems that young people already, we know, is a huge problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Lovewise, um, not everyone might know, but Lovewise goes into schools, don't you? And and talk about sexual ethics from a Christian perspective yeah. um, in schools. Yeah, great. Mike, do you, you presumably share all these concerns as well, I assume? Well, certainly. We're concerned about the fact that people are being denied choice. I had the choice as a married man to go and seek professional help and was encouraged to deal with my issues in such a way that I got help and I was able to live a fulfilling married life with my wife. And that was my choice. And these are the freedoms that are so about. Just to explain, tonight. Mike, because some of you might not know, your, but you you experienced same-sex attraction yourself, didn't you? Not, not everyone necessarily know that watching this now. I certainly have had that in my life and was confused even as a married man. And mm. there came the day where I knew that I had to get more help than I had experienced. Mm. Um, and so for me, it was a combination of my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. But further than that, it was also the need to be able to get a safe space with somebody I trusted who would be able to work through my issues. And that's what I did over a period of two and a half years. 
Mm. Uh, they challenged me. They certainly didn't share my opinion on everything, nor I theirs. But mm. the fact was they, as professionals, were prepared to listen to me. And I found help, help enough that made me uh, a successful father and husband, I believe. And that was very precious and important to me in my life. Why should people be denied that? Yeah, well, quite. No, I quite agree with you, Mike. And I, I think we're all in agreement about this here. Um, so, um, Dave, coming on to, you know, why do you think the government is going down this route here? Why do you think they're going down this route of sort of um, banning, wanting to ban and not even how do we, not even when do we ban or why do, you know, how do we ban? It's like, you know, how do we ban? Let's ban this now. What do you think is motivating them? Well, it's, it is a bit bizarre, I have to be honest, because this summer, I think it's on the 5th, 6th of July, the government is sponsoring a, a religious freedom and liberty conference um, and are incredibly concerned about uh, the the um, the practice of uh, freedom of religion and expression uh, globally. And uh, we want to be a leader in that uh, as, a, as a country and the government thing is concerned about that. And yet it has the ironic uh, situation whereby um, it's in the process of uh, seeking to put the statute book laws, which would precisely make the freedom of Christian religion illegal here in the UK while seeking to advocate for other countries in other countries where it's illegal to convert. And uh, uh, we're wanting to defend the rights of other places to convert, except here in the UK. So it is incredibly ironic. Um, why are they uh, picking this particular fight? Well, well, clearly we're in a culture war, are we not? And um, it might be a conservative government, but we're in a, a clearly very secular liberal uh, society. And uh, uh, we know there's been kind of pressure groups uh, speaking to the government over the years, uh, places like Stonewall, um, uh, 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 the kind of Jane Ozan Foundation, who've been um, uh, pushing and uh, pressurizing the government to, to act on this, and hence it being in the, the government's manifesto, whether that was the right call. Um, well, I, I, you know, we think it's a very much the wrong call and absolutely not the priority, particularly because uh, we are uh, desperately concerned about the harm of individuals. I think that the intent is that we want to provide a safe space to not cause harm to individuals, particularly young people. Um, and and older people as well who who have consent and yet precisely these uh, uh this 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 bill as currently worded will exactly do that uh, it is no harm to proclaim the gospel of jesus christ it's the, the god's way is the best way when we're not uh, saying that um uh, thereby people who have same-sex attractions all have to uh, become married and god wants to turn them into heterosexual people no that's not that's not god's best way that's not necessarily the, the promise but it is the promise for all of us to lay our desires before the lord jesus christ and for him to do with them what he will some sometimes he takes those away and, and replaces them sometimes he just leaves leaves them with with him and we live our lives as celibate single Christians and uh, what was lovely about um, uh, the letter and uh, the authors of the letter we had a diversity some married some single uh, some same-sex attracted but all of us seeking to live for Christ laying whatever desires we have uh, before him um, so yeah that, that was a bit about the letter I, how and why we've got to where we are with the government and um, who honestly knows <laughs> yeah and um, Julie you were um, saying it's somewhat discriminatory the proposals here because um, it actually discriminates against same-sex people isn't is that mm. right yeah because so so ros one of our co-authors um was, was sort of uh, expressed this yesterday and um you know and this is something that really concerns me as well so if somebody is is a attracted to somebody of the opposite sex 
then they would be perfectly able to access prayer support if they were struggling with temptation, um, you know, being attracted to somebody else or with pornography or whatever it might be, they could still access it. Um, yeah. If somebody was same-sex attracted, they wouldn't be able to access support to suppress their desires. Because, you know, as Christians, anything outside of the biblical view of marriage, one man, one woman for, for life, is, is something that we, we have to, you know, it, suppress. Um, whether we're married, whether we're single, whoever we are. But actually, this legislation would actually discriminate against uh, LGBT people who are, you know, having desires that, that are to somebody of the same sex. Um, and, so, and so that, to me, seems ridiculous um, and, and really worrying, uh, particularly so, people. In other words, Julie, what you're saying is if a man is married and he falls into a sinful pattern uh, with a woman, well, he can get counselling, no problem at all. But a man who falls into a sinful pattern with another man in his marriage, well, he can't get support. Or if he if he does, uh, the, the danger is he will simply be told that this is who he is just because he has had a momentary falling in this direction. This is now potentially affirmed as the, the pattern and the direction that his life should go in. So it, you're correct. I believe it really is discrimination uh, against this, uh, this part of the population. Yeah, yeah. Um, I noticed a comment here from, um, and if you're watching live, do put your comments and questions in. Ed Driscoll on YouTube says this, anyone who chooses to seek help from others in order to try to change anything about themselves that they alone may not be entirely happy with is absolutely no concern of the government. Amen. Um, and surely that's right, isn't it? And part of the point of this is that it's a private conversation. And what's the government got to do with criminalizing private conversations? Another comment here from Carol Donaldson on YouTube. If a client addresses their sexuality with PC cancer, I'm not quite sure what that means, and changes their lifestyle, has a criminal offense been committed by the therapist? Well, the problem is that the client might later accuse the therapist, isn't it, Mike? Isn't that what happens and has happened indeed? Absolutely. People can just um, decide that they're coming out. And we know that part of coming out is denying that change is possible and that a person is in, innate and um, yeah. uh, innately homosexual. So is that the government's position, Mike, that that um, change well, is impossible? Astoundingly, in the face of every mental health body that says that it's always a combination of nature and nurture this government is coming out saying that sexual orientation is both innate and immutable it beggars belief frankly in the face of the the stated science and mike wow. the irony of course is that um you know also in the mix is of course the transgender phenomena where uh, <laughs> which, which is it's so it's so inconsistent the the idea that the the the, the gender identity is an innate Thing that can't be changed and challenged and yet the definition of it is that that they're saying i'm i'm changing and i'm and I, i'm slipping it and that the kind of it, it's bizarrely incredibly binary despite the claims that our culture is all very fluid so you know they're, they're totally inconsistent with themselves and if you are a, a minor you can go yeah. in the direction of transgender but okay. if you are a minor and you're same-sex attracted 
well, you simply have to bite the bullet and accept yeah. that that's who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, safe to be me. Well, safe to be me only if you are LGBT identified. This is the this is the problem that the national survey excluded anybody who was not LGBT identified, which means that they excluded anybody who was formerly LGBT identified, but has found help enough that they no longer identify in that direction. And this is a problem that there is just no consistency across the board. Yeah. So the, the other issue, I suppose, which is, you know, we, we talked about the kind of cultural moment that we're in. I think that, you know, statistically, what is it, 1.8, 1.9% of the population are uh, LGBT, uh, potentially. Yeah. But I think in the in the media, it's 10% or 12% in the, in the BBC, 10% in, in, in Westminster. Yeah. So yeah. The, the stats are totally skewed. And uh, guess what? We're downstream of of those, those, uh, those decisions and those choices. So, yeah, there's yeah. no surprise we're here. So listen, the other thing that happened this week, or we talk about um, how, what the church is saying about conversion therapy is General Synod um, happened this week. And um, my colleague, Ben John, who is on General Synod, as Julie Maxwell is as well, um, asked a question of, uh, of Synod. Let's just play that question, shall we? And then we can talk about it. Benjamin John, St. Albans 395. Thank you. Can you confirm uh, that in your response to the consultation and support of the government's proposals to ban conversion therapy, uh, that you supported the use of criminal sanctions, including imprisonment for up to five years, particularly in the case of talking therapy, which can include pastoral conversations between a minister and a layperson, especially given that over 700 Church of England ministers have signed a letter opposing the government's proposals and saying that they are willing to disobey the government to provide pastoral support to congregants in obedience to God. Thank you very much, Ben. Um, I think what would be most helpful for you and for other members of, of Synod is if we um, arrange for the full response to that consultation uh, to be uh, made available. And I will speak to Clark of Synod about how that can best be done. Thank you. Ms. Ozan. Uh, Ozan, Oxford 380. Thank you, Mark. May I flag that this was actually a consultation from the Government Equalities Office, which is part of the Cabinet Office and not part of the Ministry of Justice. But my question, if I may, is I wonder if the Archbishop's Council is aware of the Cooper Report, a set of recommendations by Baroness K Kennedy uh, QC and colleagues uh, of senior international human rights lawyer status, which set out in, uh, in strong recommendations that there should be no loopholes for consent on conversion therapy and proposed a definition as to how to tackle the difficult topic of religious practices which are harmful, and that their definition was that this needed to be any practice which had a predetermined purpose focused on an individual that sought to change, cure, or suppress their sexual orientation and or gender identity. Thank you very much, Jane. As ever, you are massively in command of your subject. I'm afraid I can't tell you specifically uh, a response to the Cooper report. 
Um, I know that you have recently just uh, published a report yourself um, what the Ozan Foundation has, which we, we have received and are currently digesting. Um, I'm sure we will be coming back to you in relation to your report, so let me also come back to you on the Cooper report at that time. Thank you, Mark. It's one and the same. Ah, well, that's good to know. Thank you very much. <laughs> As ever, you highlight your superior knowledge of this subject, but not I do. So, uh, in that case, that's very helpful. Well, so... Um... There we are. Well, so listen, so what we learned from that is 700 people who are actually ordained ministers of the Church of England, uh, at least 700, signed the open letter that we just uh, talked about. And then Ben was asking, we know that the Church of England has said that they support the government in banning conversion therapy. And in fact, they passed a motion in General Civil a few years ago uh, to ban conversion therapy. Um, and so Ben was saying, does this mean you want to criminalise the 700 of your own ordained ministers then. Um, Julie, what did you make of the response to that? Um, well, I'll be very interested to, to, to read their response for the consultation is uh, when they make it available to us. That, that would be my first comment. Yes. Um, I, I mean, I, th I, think, I think what it, what it has shown to me, um, from some of the comments, but also from some comments that were made in the fringe meeting that uh, was held on Wednesday, which Mike spoke at, yeah. um, was, that, was that a lot of people within the Church of England, they, they don't really understand what they have voted to, to, to support that banning. Because yeah. I think, you know, most people still think conversion therapy is, is equals the horrendous things that have gone on in the past. And, and, and of course, as Dave has already said, we, you know, absolutely, you know, we, we would not, um, you know, that, those are horrific. Um, but, but when you put it, you know, as, as Jane Ozan said there, you know, suppression of sexual desires is, is, is being put into conversion therapy. Well, you know, as we've already said, lot, you know, all of us have to suppress sexual desires. You know, that, yeah. that's being yeah. a Christian yeah. is about suppressing desires generally not just sexual yeah. um yeah. And, and so i think people have no i think lots of people have very little understanding of what what it is that they're trying to ban I mean, obviously some people very definitely understand um and, and are very vocal about it but um mm. you know, i think it is a real concern that that you know people have signed up it, within the church of england have signed up to something that they don't really understand what what it is that, that is going to be banned and they have no idea that uh, the normal work of a church minister, youth worker, parent, whatever, is going to be part of this criminalisation. Yeah. It's also quite shocking, isn't it, that the bishop, in responding to Ben's question, doesn't say, of course, we don't want to criminalise 700 of our ministers. You no. know, he doesn't say that, right? He, he, he just says, oh, I'll let you see the consultation response, right? It, it doesn't say, oh, no, no, of course, we wouldn't want to criminalise 700 ordained ministers. You know, we wouldn't want to support that at all. You know, no, that's not what he says. Mike, you want to say something? Well, uh, there's another thing that struck me in listening to that clip, and that's Jane Ozan's reference to the Cooper Report. Yes. Now, if you've read the Cooper Report, um, I think I'm correct in saying there's very little evidence that is appealed to. What you have, rather, is the appeal to the authoritative voices of human rights lawyers. This is mirrored in uh, the professional bodies. We're often told, but every professional body in the country and all over the world is against conversion therapy. 
So we have these kind of cultures where we appeal not to the science, not to empirical evidence, not to, um, you know, a point of view that might contradict that. We only go to the authoritative voice. And it's the same thing with the lawyers here. And I think this is the danger. We do not have a balanced ideological diversity in this discussion. And because the mental health societies have been captured, I'm afraid, it sounds extreme to say, I'm not a conspiracist uh, theorist at all, but this appears to be the case. The legislation is somewhat captured, isn't it? The media certainly is. So we have everybody marking their own homework. And it's very difficult for diverse voices to be heard and balanced. But we should all surely be looking at what the science is saying and checking ourselves against scientific method when we are well, looking at, um, at things that are so important. We've heard that all through the COVID thing, haven't we, from the science? Um, but but not here, it seems. So, and Julie, you mentioned the fringe event at mm. General Synods this week. Um, maybe you just want to talk about that a little bit as well. Yeah, so so at General Synod, there are various fringe events that are held on, on various topics. And so there was one on, on conversion therapy. So Mike spoke at it, um, uh, a, a lawyer spoke. Um, and I think the most powerful part was uh, the testimony of Libby Littlewood. And if, if people haven't uh, come across Libby, um, look her up. Um, and she's, she's got quite a lot of um, you know, videos and things online as part of X Out Loud. And she has got a, a phenomenal testimony. She uh, identified as a, as a man for a significant period of time and took hormones um, and then decided to detransition. And I think one of the, the most shocking things in, in her testimony is actually that at one point her church wasn't supportive of her detransitioning and didn't really know what to do with her but she is she's also really clear that you know she wouldn't have been able to access the help and support that she's had to go on and live um in happily in her female body and she's recently got engaged which is uh, really exciting news um and you know so she if this ban comes to, to fruition she wouldn't have been able to access and she would have been left having to live um, as a man um, and be very unhappy and have to take hormones for the rest of her life um, and you know and, and so I think I think that's a really powerful testimony and there were clearly many in the room who ha hadn't heard that kind of story before and and were quite you know taken aback by by some of the things she said. Great and Mike um, what about your perspective on that meeting? I think it was a, a very helpful meeting because you got the legal perspective, you got the experience from Libby, you had somebody who was an expert um, from Christian Concern on education matters, and I represented uh, things from a therapeutic point of view. And that's exactly the kind of triangulation, if you like, that I think brings out truths that we have missed. We've been fed a diet, even our dramas on television are funded in such a way that LGBT issues get a good look into, you know, some segment of the drama. And so we've become a society that I think has uncritically um, absorbed things around gender and sexuality that haven't properly been challenged. 
So I think it was an excellent example of how to uh, shine light, a, a light from different perspectives on this issue. It was well done. Um, do you think, so Julie, you know, as a Synod member, do you think, what do you think the mood and Synod is generally about this issue of conversion therapy? I, I, I think I would say um, very divided. I, I think um, there are, there's obviously, a, you know, a, a certain number of people who, who would have our, our view. Um, there are a certain number of people who would have a very, very uh, opposing view. And I think there are a lot of people in the middle who probably don't quite know what to think, don't understand what the conversion therapy ban is and what it what it could do. And, and you know, and I, I really hope that um, what, what we wrote in, in our letter that obviously is available online and also a lot of the, the background information that goes is, is with that letter as well will be helpful to people within Christian ministry um, and maybe to people on Synod. Um, but I, I think a lot of people, they just don't understand because there is no proper definition of conversion therapy they don't understand the danger that it is to us as christians do you think they were surprised that 700 ministers had signed this letter 700 church of england ministers as well as two and a half thousand altogether um i would imagine so yes i yeah i would i would definitely imagine because because like i say i i think for a lot of people they just think it's a done deal we don't want conversion therapy because they think conversion therapy is some terribly terribly harmful thing and yeah. don't realise that the, the, the definition in, in this legislation includes what, what we do every day. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, um, and you mentioned there, Julie, harm, and Mike, mm -hmm. coming to you, there's a new study that's just come out, hasn't there, about the lack of evidence of harm for this therapy? I'd just like to preface what I think we're going to talk about by saying it's interesting that the, the examples of harm that have been consumed in UK media reports have been put there by activists, basically. Activists who have gone undercover and who have a specific point of view that they want to produce. And this, and only this, has been presented with very few opportunities to present examples like um, uh, Libby Littlewood's testimony. And that's one of the problems. But P Professor Paul Sullins challenged one of the papers that the government has latched onto by an author by the name of Blozhnik, who looked at 1,500 uh, cases um, of people who had undertaken so-called soci or sexual orientation change effort uh, work with a therapist and who had reported that they had been harmed and Blosnik studied this and the outcome of his study was to say that conversion therapy is something therefore that must be banned because it is always harmful and it leads to increased suicidality. But now Professor Paul Sullins had access to the same data and what he found actually was that the original researchers had not accounted for pre-suicidality. In other words, they'd only spoken about lifetime suicidal tendencies and they hadn't discerned what their level of suicidality was before the therapy and after the therapy. And so he redid his study using the same data set and found that when you accounted for what had taken 
place uh, in this context by looking at how many were had pre-therapy um, suicide notions as opposed to those who had suicide notions after therapy, the complete reverse was the truth, that in fact access to this type of therapeutic input had reduced suicidality. And this is the issue now. If, if we can replicate studies being more careful with the data set that is provided, well, this indicates that any ban is clearly unsafe. We haven't done enough uh, to really understand this phenomenon. This is what is concerning. You know, whatever you want to say about what Bloznik did, the fact is the results of what he showed have been misused or have been used in such a way as to promote therapy bans when in fact they have been discredited. But the government and the post note that has been sent to all government ministers in Westminster doesn't pay any attention or sufficient attention to these problems that are coming out in the research. Yeah, Mike, it seems um, incredible, really, doesn't it, that um, Blodnik would make what seems like a very obvious mistake to look at suicidality before before therapy rather than after therapy. Um, uh, and um, anyway, Sullen's research, we've, I know we've put a link up there Professor Sullen's research, it's peer-reviewed in quite a prestigious journal, isn't it? And it's shown there's, there's no evidence of harm. And so the government is saying, okay, physical acts are already criminal anyway, so that's deal, yeah, set that aside. And But what's the grounds then for banning conversion therapy, which is now conversation, when there's no evidence of harm? For that I, think, uh, I think we must be very careful with the harm narrative. If we know of examples of harm, I think we have to be very careful to make sure that they are not just hearsay, but they have been properly reported. Were they reported to the police? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was a general practitioner involved in assessing this claim? Um, were any of the professional mental health bodies brought in? Or are these all media claims? I'm not saying that things haven't been done poorly. We should all be against poor therapy. Yeah. But banning anybody's opportunity for access is clearly the wrong direction. What we should be doing is regulating, yeah. training, yeah. Uh, increasing the church's capacity and understanding of how to deal with this, making sure that professionals are held to account in terms of how they work. That's how yeah. you deal with this, not by uh, banning it and therefore um in a way taking it to the back streets so that um, yeah. new iterations come up that are equally unaccountable it's it's just the wrong approach in my opinion yeah yeah so dave coming back to you from your perspective not on synod you know maybe a maybe a different perspective from you um the church generally and what it's saying and thinking about conversion therapy what's your perspective on that well, it's interesting. It so happens that over the last uh, month, I've been preaching through 1 Corinthians 7 at uh, my church here in Highfield. So I, I've been acutely aware of issues to do with sexuality, marriage, divorce, uh, same-sex attraction, etc. And uh, just before Christmas, 1 Corinthians 6, which is all about, you know, um, 
yeah, the kinds of people who will not enter the kingdom of God, and such as you were, but you were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified. The scriptures speak right into this topic, don't they? Um, but I'm I'm fully aware that uh, those sermons um, would absolutely be illegal if this bill passes without um, significant amendment. Um, the fact is that I'm not giving a kind of an opportunity for someone to write a disclaimer or sign a form to say, yeah, they're happy for me to hear this. This is public preacher of the word faithfully, compassionately, of course. And we have in our church family uh, people who experience same-sex attraction, uh, people who the issue of transgender is very, very close. Um, so so while I believe, you know, I can't speak in terms of national church or an FIC uh, local church, but I certainly would want to encourage my fellow pastors and uh, ministry colleagues who are watching to not hold back from speaking on these topics, because I think the temptation will be just to kind of retreat a little bit and maybe allow... Oh, people can just read the Bible on their own or they can kind of fill in the blanks. Everyone knows this stuff. You know, they, they don't. And if we don't say it, someone else will say it. And uh, the agenda will be set. You know, you can't. <laughs> there's no agenda free existence in relation to issues of sexuality and marriage. So it's been a great privilege to do it here at Highfields. But I've been totally aware that you know, every week you know, we're live streaming our services, Spotify, etc. You know, I could I could get cancelled any moment, maybe. Um, um, that, that that's that's going to come one day or worse. But I feel that um, I, I, I've observed before that if, if if we look at the book of Revelation and you get the list of people who won't enter the kingdom of heaven in the in the book of Revelation, the first the first group of people who won't enter are the cowards. And um, I think yeah. that the word for us as leaders, Christian leaders, yeah, we've just got to stand with the truth with compassion, of course. And it's possible to to stand in a way that doesn't have compassion. And people who are who are sex attracted or who who sense themselves in the kind of you know, the the minorities etc. Feel like there's no home here. We want to be a totally welcoming, open door kind of church uh, where the broken and the vulnerable and the hurting can come. Absolutely, uh, and the counselling and the prayer can be provided. But we've got to have the courage to say what the scriptures say. And um, so help me God. Amen. Fantastic. Well, listen, that's been a great conversation. Um, thank you all of you for joining us today and it's also very encouraging to hear about the letter and the number of people who have signed it and um, and you getting it into number 10 there as well and the synod and the response on synod um, by synod members if not by the bishops as yet um, we will wait and see what the actual consultation response from the synod uh, from the bishops was um, and perhaps comment on that when we see that as well um, but obviously this is a very live issue so We'll keep talking about it, keep praying about it as well. And as Dave says, let's not lack courage in talking about these issues as well. Thanks um, to all of you. And thanks if you're watching as well. And uh, look forward to catching you and seeing you again next time. Thank you very much. Bye.